This is Real Talk with Ben Tompkins. All right, what's good, everybody? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by nobody currently, but we're grinding, and one day that's all going to change, my friends. And I'm so excited that you're here today. I really am. I'm really excited today. I'm in a good fucking mood, and I hope that you are too, all right? And honestly, after listening to this intro, it's going to be hard not to be, because there's some really exciting things coming up in these next couple weeks that I cannot wait to share with you. And I'll get to that. I've got a very big announcement that we're going to make. But this is Uber Stories Part 28. And I'm happy. If you have found this episode, I've been doing a lot of things in the last couple weeks, and I'm doing a lot of things currently and moving forward in order to grow the show and continue to build the audience and build this thing out. Just levels. There's levels to this shit, you know? Step by step, man. And if you have found the show, if you're new to the show, if you've ridden with me and you're now listening to this and this is your first episode, then it's really good to have you here. And I'm really glad that you can join us. I really am. And I hope that you'll continue to ride with me. So I want to preview these stories so you know what's to come. And then I'll do my little intro and reintroduce myself as I know some of you who have been listening to me and my day ones, you're probably tired of getting to listen to hear this spiel, but you know, like Drake once said, every picture that I take is a fan that I can gain. And in my case, every intro that I tape is a fan that I can gain. So for all the things that I'm doing in order to continue to grow this, um, I have to run through some of this stuff. And I'm going to introduce you. I'm, I swear to God, though, it is going to be a much quicker introduction this week and moving forward than last week's. Last week, I spent about 38 minutes on my introduction and I did not mean to be that long-winded with it and I'm sure a lot of people probably got through that and then tuned out because it took so fucking long to get to the stories and I apologize for that I can be listen brevity is not my forte sometimes and sometimes I just start talking and there's a reason that they call me the kid with the motor mouth is because I can just go and go and go and go and go and never get tired and never have to take a break and never have to think about what's going to come next and it's just it's really a skill but it's sometimes you know with my ADHD I can kind of like have these thoughts that just bounce around and then I just get off topic and now we're 40 minutes into another intro you know what I mean so we're going to avoid that today but um the stories on today's episode include Easter Sunday service. I wanted to do something really special since it was Easter Sunday, and I was five rides short of hitting an incentive. And I was like, man, it's only five rides. I'm going to go and do this. So I got creative, and I did something really special for these five riders that came from the heart, and it couldn't have gone any better. And so that's the first story that's going to lead us off today. The second story is called Health King. A rider questions his buddy's life choices when his buddy questions the notion of taking the COVID vaccine out of his concern for not wanting to put unknown and potentially harmful substances into his body. Hilarious. The next story on today's episode, Bomb Squad. This is a veteran recounting his days as an Army combat engineer, clearing routes and sweeping the Middle East for IEDs and explosives during his deployments, and he shares a few of his closest calls. The next story, kindness does not equal weakness. A writer who's the director of North American Markets in Puerto Rico for a big pharma company shares the truest piece of business advice he's ever given or received, which leads to a story about a juicy dilemma he's currently in with one of his direct reports and the tough decision he's faced with. 
And then wrapping up today's episode, they're crazy. A psychiatrist makes a remark that is both surprising and hurtful, which leads to a bigger picture takeaway and serves as a teaching moment for all of us. Um, I do not have any submissions today for The Doctor Is In. It's a segment that I like to do at the end of these episodes. It is a listener segment. So you listening, um, you know, you may not get the chance to ride with me in person. If you are hearing this and you're from a different state, or if I'm going to be in your state and then we might not get the chance to connect again, and you're listening to this, then you can always send me an email, realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com. I set that email up specifically and only for this, this alone. And just like all of the other stories on this podcast, I will keep you absolutely anonymous. I won't share any type of details or anything that's going to potentially lead to you being outed, okay? Real names, kill things, that's that shit I won't write. I'm not going to do that to you and blast you like that. So just know anything that you send to me is going to be anonymous and remain that way. And um, But if you want to, send me what you're going through, send me something, and I'll give you some life advice. And I would love to do that. I've done it twice already, and they went really well. And I call this little segment The Doctor Is In, and it's a play on the Peanuts because I'm a huge Snoopy fan. I love the Peanuts. That's my guy right there, okay? And uh, yeah, send those in, realtalkwbennyt at gmail.com, and The Doctor Is In. I'll give you a little bit of life advice, and um, it's good stuff. So, really quickly, okay, uh, my name is Ben Tompkins, and if you're just now joining us for the very first time, then I'm very glad that you have found this podcast, and I hope that you'll continue to ride with me moving forward. Ride with us, you know? Join this thriving community of people that are obviously onto the best podcast that's going right now. Um, what this show is, this show is basically Taxi Cab Confessions meets Dr. Phil. I mean, that's really what it is, right? I drive for Uber full-time. I wasn't initially. I was hosting sports radio, and every once in a while, I would get a really interesting conversation or something that um, a rider was telling me as I would be driving Uber part-time at nights to make some extra money, and I would come onto my radio show, and I would say, guys, you got to hear this story. We'll do this little segment. It's called Uber Stories, and you know what was funny was at some point, people started calling and texting into my sports show to say, hey, you know what? You're not that good at this. Like, we, we like you. You're entertaining. You were good in football season, but now it's basketball season, and basketball season is king in Kentucky, and we're not really that interested in your basketball stuff, dude, but give us the Uber stories because we really like those, and we can't get those anywhere else. And I was like, okay. You know what? That's the market speaking to me. There we go. And then when sports were canceled because of COVID and I left the radio station that I was at, uh, it was the best decision that I could have ever made in my life. And it has led me since last June onto the path that I'm on now. And I could not be more thankful for that. And honestly, COVID happening um, accelerated my stumbling onto this path, right? Which is a, an accumulation of all of these little things that I'm doing that and, and uh, that I love to do and that I'm really truly good at that make me happy and I think will be ultimately the thing that takes me to where I'm trying to go with it. And it's real. And that's how I know it's real, you know? So it's, it's like that perfect concoction of I'm good at this versus I enjoy doing this. And I hope that 
um, everybody has the opportunity, at least at some point in their life, to do that thing that they're that, like that's their thing, right? If you can make money doing something that you love, then do it, even if it means from time to time taking some shit as oh he's just an Uber driver. Like ah, that stings a little bit, but you know what? Just wait, just wait. Don't believe me? Just watch. So that's my whole thing, and and like. Um, I take the five best stories from the previous week or whenever, and I flip those into an episode, and that's what the Uber stories are. So it's conversations that I'm having with people. It's advice that I'm giving to people. Um, you'll see in this episode, it, it ranges. It's fun stuff like I just did this Easter Sunday thing that was really unique and really special where I go out and I drive, and I, I gave uh, five rides, and I had five cards and I wrote a handwritten note to each one of these riders that I knew I was only going to do five rides. So I wrote um, five little things inside these Easter cards, handed out some gift cards, handed out some candy, and hoped that I just, just fucking brightened somebody's day. And watching the reaction on these people's faces glow, literally glow, when I was like, hey, I have something for you. They'd be like, oh, what is it? And I'd hand them this card, and they were like, oh my God, thank you. I was like, that's why I do it. That right there, okay? And the feedback that I get from people when they say thank you. I mean, I've had grown men from the south and west end of Louisville be like, I fucking love you, Benjamin. <laughs> I'm like, I love you too, man. Like, somebody that you would not be expecting to hear that from, right? But, like, that's just, that's why I do this shit, man. So, I really do that for that reason. And also, my main why, my main reason behind any of this is because I never want anyone to feel as alone and as shitty and as abandoned as I have at different parts of my life. And if you want to know how I've felt that or why I felt that, there's a few episodes that you could listen to to kind of bring you up to speed. Go and check out Allow Me to Reintroduce Myself. That's a really, really good one. That's the one that I dropped at the very beginning of this trip and this journey and from everything that I've done in between now and then um it's it's beautiful it's beautiful okay so allow me to reintroduce myself the new year special that will really give you a sense of why I feel so strongly and why some of these things that when I talk to people when I talk to strangers when I talk to about this stuff on the podcast it's why I get so emotional and it will really give you a sense of where I'm coming from because it's so real. It's so poignant to me and it's so like important to me for all of these reasons that are in the New Year special. And also, For the Love of the Game is a really good one. That's one of my personal favorite ones and that to me is like Drake's The Calm. It's just like the most rawest revealing thing that I've probably ever put on tape. And you should go and listen to that. And then check out some of these other Uber Stories episodes. And the way to go about them is to start where you're starting and then just work your way back. Uber Stories Part 27, Part 26, Part 25. Because they've only gotten better and better as I've continued to do these. And at the beginning, I kind of was still figuring out the format I was doing every story possible, but now I just take the five best stories and I typically will end on either a good note or something that speaks to a larger point that I'd like to bring light on and speak to and, and kind of, uh, you know, a big picture takeaway type deal. So, um, I'm really happy that you're here. If you would like to continue following along, I would encourage you and really, really appreciate if you would give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at BennyTomp18. 
The Facebook page that I've created for the show is at RealTalkWBennyT. So check me out on social media. I'm a rising TikTok star, okay? And the feedback that I'm getting from TikTok is like, people are literally commenting here before this blows up and are really, really gassing me up. So I'm, I'm like, I never thought I'd be on TikTok, but I think now I'm flirting with being on the verge of potentially becoming like a TikToker, okay? Which is crazy. It's just, and a YouTuber at some point. Like at some point, you know, my vision for the show is to do different seasons in different cities, and have a camera inside of the car and have people sign a, a waiver and, and a release and everything like that. But I mean, just like the show Taxi Cab Confessions, it's that plus Dr. Phil, dude, because I literally give free therapy to so many different people. But some of the stories are very savage and very funny, and I love those ones. Um, but it could absolutely be something that is on YouTube and streaming live on Twitch. And when I talk about doing different seasons in different cities, that's honestly why I'm so fucking jacked up today and right now in this intro. Because I am been I have been waiting to tell you guys this. This week, um, actually later today, I'm taping this on a Tuesday, and this will come out on a Wednesday. And so later today on Wednesday, I am driving down to Atlanta and I'm going to do something that I've been talking about doing for the last few weeks is this spring and summer, I'm going to be traveling to a new city each month, do um, leave on a Wednesday, come back on a Sunday or a Monday and spend all day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday in that city driving, meeting new people, getting hella stories, handing out these cards, putting people on the podcast, experiencing and getting to travel, which I absolutely love to do, and flipping that into an episode. And this week is the very first week, this upcoming week, next week, will be Uber Stories Atlanta. And I'm going to be staying with my man, Michael Cho, and I'm going to be in the ATL, baby. What's good? And I'm going to be, like I just said, making an episode out of all the people that I meet, driving pretty much nonstop, just grinding four days straight, driving down there, driving back, driving all the way down. Like I, I, I'm, I'm literally like, at the time of taping this, I'm so antsy and anxious just to get down there because I honestly am that excited about it. And I, I like, I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful that I do something with my life that makes me that excited to go to work. I'm literally like, I'm going to drive down to this place so that I can work, which is more driving, but I like cannot fucking wait for it because I just know that it's just going to be an awesome thing. And so this month I'm doing Atlanta in May. I'm going to be down in Nashville in June or July, still figuring out what I'm going to do there, but I'm either going to be in Charlotte or Chicago. I'm thinking about doing Indy, maybe even Detroit or Pittsburgh, because honestly, like Atlanta is farther than Pittsburgh is from Louisville. And same thing with Detroit. Detroit's like five and a half hours, right? I drove to New Orleans in last October and that was like 11. So Five's nothing, man. I I drive normally my my regular shift is a seven hour shift when I create my schedule for myself for the week. So you know what I mean? Like five hours is nothing to me. So I am I'm just that's gonna be coming out next week, Uber Stories Atlanta. And I'm really, really excited about it because again, like I just got this LLC set up and I just I'm getting all of these things in order in order to uh, move forward with this and continue taking it where I want it to go, which is a lot of sponsors, thriving podcast, probably a YouTube channel, and this could absolutely be what you see as like, holy fuck, yeah, that was crazy, 
but he did it. This motherfucker did it, you know? And I'm I'm the motherfucker that has the energy and uh uh the drive to get it there, you know? Because I'm I'm a I'm a grind, man. I'm gonna work my ass off. So I will say this, if you are new to this, um obviously as you have um <laughs> seen by the four or five or seven or ten fucks that I've used, uh if you're offended by foul language, this probably is not the podcast for you, okay? That's the only rule I have here. That and no haters allowed, okay? That's that's pretty much it. Um, I don't edit myself. I will uh, say whatever the writers say, which a lot of times is a lot of that language, okay? That's just how people speak. Um, unless it's like a hateful word, any kind of a hate speech, I'm not going to repeat that. Um, that is the only thing that I'll edit out, okay? Um, but anything outside of that is fair game, okay? So if you don't like foul language, then... Just find another podcast, move on. So, uh, new episodes come out every Wednesday. From time to time, I will have bonus episodes on Fridays that are interviews that I've done with people, and those are really good. There's some good ones in there, but, um, you know, I just, I love doing this, and again, my entire thing is I never want anybody to feel as shitty and as alone and as abandoned as I have at different parts of my life, and it's important to me to speak about mental health issues and I'm bipolar and it took me some courage to work up to sharing that because I I didn't I didn't want it to be weaponized and used against me, right? And people just kind of invalidate anything that I do or say by saying, "Well, he's he's crazy," you know? Like we do typically say to most people. And we'll get to some good thoughts on that in the last story of today's episode. But it took me some courage to own up to that, but then I was like, you know what, that's real, and that's my experience, and that's what I'm going through, and that's, I mean, I can't, what am I supposed to feel sorry about it, you know, I can't change it, but if I can speak about it, it might change it for somebody else, it might help somebody else get to that point where they're like, I'm not going to be ashamed of this, I'm not going to feel different or weird or like I can't live a normal life, like, fuck that, fuck that noise, that's not me, man, <laughs> I'm going to live my life. And and so here I am, unapologetically doing exactly that. So I really hope that you will enjoy today's episode. And I really hope that if you do, you will leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and say, hey, new to the show, really like this. It could be a story. It could be a interview that you go back and listen to. It could be one of the specials. But if you enjoy this today and you enjoy any of these and you like the show, then please let me know about it because that also helps me grow the show and build the show and it really is important to me and I appreciate that. It's seriously, that makes me glow too, man. That makes me so happy to see that and it's super helpful. So Apple Podcasts, that's where you can do that and for some of you, I know, you you don't have iPhones or you don't use Apple Podcasts. You're listening to this on Spotify or Google Podcasts or SoundCloud. You can still help out by going to the show's Facebook page at Real Talk W Benny T and leaving a rating and a review there. That would also really help me out. And the last way that you could help me out, send this to somebody. Send this to a person you know that loves podcast. Send this to a person that you know that would get a kick out of this story. Send this to a person you know 
that you might not be, you might be trying to have a conversation with the person, but maybe I speak about something in one of these episodes that makes it a little bit easier for you to approach the situation and the conversation that you've been maybe tiptoeing around or not really necessarily knowing how to start it without seeming like, you know, like coming off as like the right way or the wrong way, right? Use some of these and maybe that can transition into breaking the ice, okay? I would absolutely be honored to be able to do that. I look at myself as a point guard, right? I'm just dissing assists to everybody all over the city. It's why Willie Beeman, you know, that reference to Willie Beeman in the 9 a.m. in Dallas hits me so deep because he's like, I'm just throwing touchdown passes hoping that someone catch them. And that's what I do all day long. I ride around my city, I throw touchdown passes, and if somebody drops the ball, that's on them. But I hung it up there, I threw a dime, now it's on you. Go catch that shit and run that shit back, fam. That's what we're on. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think that's about it. And and guys, please, girls, everybody. Uh, I say guys a lot. That's just how we, you know it. But I mean it for everybody. I'm agnostic in that sense. Um, please keep sending me stuff. I had an old friend who that I went to high school with, who I have not seen or spoken to in I don't know ten years since since I've been in high school. And she hit me up on Facebook and she said how much she enjoys listening to these and how much, uh, how funny she thinks they are. Like I laugh out loud every time because I'm just imagining you doing this and it's just, it's hilarious. And that kind of stuff makes me feel really good. So please keep that coming because the internet is full of people who try to cut people down and tell people don't try that because it's unconventional and don't do that and you're not shit. And so when I get the little messages like that, that reminds me, oh yeah. The world is not a bunch of fucking haters on Twitter. And with that, (laughs) I think that's a perfect segue to get into these stories today. Hey, 20 minutes compared to 40 in the last intro um, and some of the announcement that we made today, I think we're doing pretty good. I think we're doing pretty good. So without further ado, here is Uber Stories Part 28. Easter Sunday Service. Now, this is one of my favorite things about this. It's the reason that I was really pissed off that my car was uh, in the shop during Christmas and New Year's because there's something about being with a stranger on a holiday that I just really resonate with. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I feel a little bit more um, comfortable with them um, being in a position of making them feel like, hey, we're, we're in this together, you know, rather than being with my own family and what family means to me on those special days. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that. But Easter Sunday service was something that I went out and did because I was on Easter Sunday five rides short of an incentive. And I was, I was going to have to do them or else the incentive would expire before Sunday night and I, wouldn't, I would miss out on, on some extra money. So... I decided that I've got five rides. I'm going to go and bang these out in the morning before I go over to my mom's for Easter Sunday. And I want to do something really special. You know, I really want to do something really special because if it's Easter Sunday and I'm going to be with somebody, I don't know who these people are or what they're doing today, but um, just in case, I, I, I never want anybody to be alone on a holiday, man, or feel alone, you know, because that sucks. And I... That is my experience. I know that feeling of abandonment on holidays, okay? So I decided to go out and drive for a few hours on Easter Sunday. And before I went out, I got five cards, okay? I looked, (laughs) 
This is why you don't wait until the holiday to go buy the holiday card that you want because I went to both Walgreens and Kroger by my house and nobody had any Snoopy cards, which is what I would have hoped to hand out to everybody, but they didn't have them. They were all fucking sold out. Everybody wiped them out. Of course, I mean, that's what I get for procrastinating, but I did find some really nice looking Easter cards that had really colorful eggs on them, so I bought five of those. And I did buy some Snoopy holiday stickers. So they, there's like strips for each holiday. So there were um, like little Woodstocks and Snoopies and Linuses and Charlie Browns and little like Easter baskets and stuff like that. So at least I could put the peanuts in the cards. And I did. And I put each one had a couple stickers. And I wrote a little note. I hand wrote a note. Same note inside each one of these five cards before I went out and drove. It said, Happy Easter. Always know that you are loved and you matter, in all caps. Whatever you're going through, no matter your situation, just keep on pushing. It's like they say, tough times don't last, tough people do. One love, signed Ben Tompkins. Okay? So I wrote that in each one of them and I put the stickers on there. And I put, I got five $5 Starbucks gift cards and I put one of the gift cards in there. So that's like, you know, for mom or dad or whoever it is, right? And then I also gave them my business card with my social media stuff on it, with the podcast stuff on it, just in case they wanted to reach out, say thank you, whatever. And I also had bought um, some Reese's eggs and then some Airheads Extremes individually wrapped packed candies, right? So each one had like five little Airhead Extreme bites in them. They're fire. Um, but I had all this stuff sitting on the front seat, like the candies. And so when people got in, you know, none of my riders saw what was sitting in the front seat. So they had no idea. They had absolutely no idea this was happening. I had the cards in my little door pocket next to me. So like they they couldn't have known or been any wiser to the fact that there was like something that I was going to do for them, right? And again, I just I I just really wanted like that makes me feel good, you know? And it's not something sometimes you'll see these people they do like they they go and take a video of them like giving a homeless man money. And it's like why did you really do that, right? I I a thousand percent wanted to do this for these people to to hopefully make a positive splash on their day that day. You know, because some people don't have families or some people don't have families in the same city or some people don't fuck with their families. Um, some people's families don't fuck with them for whatever reason, you know, like, and you meet somebody, you never know what they're going through. It's, it's, it's like the most classic, you know, reason to treat everybody nicely and to treat people the way that you would want to be treated because you never know what somebody's dealing with and going through and what kind of a potential meltdown or explosion could be sitting right under the surface. And one little thing, one thing that's said the wrong way or done to them could really just make them tip over and spill, you know? But to the same effect, doing something like this that's a random act of kindness to them, they're like, you know here's my Uber driver, I'm going to this thing, whatever I'm doing today, and then they get a little bit of like a, an unexpected boost of positivity and joy, and hopefully they'd get inside and maybe they set the car down, maybe they came back to it later. I guarantee one of five, it, it's probably, no, I don't know. I don't know with that small of a sample size, 
But like if I, I don't know, if it was like 25, there'd be like probably two or three people that hadn't opened the card yet. You know, that's like probably sitting there and then it's like, oh yeah, what is it? You know, maybe they just misplaced it or whatever and uh, whatever. But like for the people that opened it, um, and dude, I'm telling you what, when I said, hey, I have something for you, right, right before these people got out of the car, they were like, oh, no way, what is it? And I was like, so I wrote you this card, and <laughs> there's a there's a Starbucks gift card in here, and there's um, some candy for you, and I hope you have a really good happy Easter. And the people, like, they would, like, seriously, like, glow. Like, they were glowing. And I was just like, that reaction right there is exactly why. Like, that that makes me so fucking happy. And just emotional. Just emotional thinking about, like, I, I, I gave that to them. You know? That look on their face of just glowing. It was just like, oh, my gosh. That's so sweet. <laughs> like, I'm, like, half crying, half laughing right now. I can't help it. But, like... That to me is like, that is everything. That's everything to me. And that's the only thing that I want to do with some of this stuff besides provide some really savage or entertaining stories is the rides like that and that type of response that I can elicit from somebody. That's the most amazing thing to me. And that's the only thing that matters to me, honestly, honestly. So it was an awesome day and I did five rides, like I said, um, and the five people that I met, it's almost like the five people you meet in heaven, right? The five people you meet driving for Uber on Easter Sunday. Um, I met one woman who was on her way to an option care for a busted ankle that she was suffering from. And she was telling me, she was like, honey, I'm a drug addict. That's straight up what she said. Um, and she was older and you know, we were just talking about how she had sustained that injury and what her experience was with... Um, you know, prescription drugs, and she was just telling me how much pain she was in, and she was like, yeah, I, I use fentanyl every day, and I was like, um, like, a doctor prescribes that to you, or <laughs> like, <laughs> she was like, no, honey, I'm a drug addict, and I was like, okay, cool, hey, listen, I'm not here to judge you, man, so, um, I really hope your ankle gets better, and, uh, it looks fucking awful, and purple, and I hope that they take care of you in this option care, you know, and, she was like, thank you, honey. And when I gave her that card, she was like, it, it, out of everybody that I did it to, that person who was literally like telling me how much of a pain in the ass it was for her to live, I think it really, really warmed her up. You know, it really, really, she, she looked, she looked happy. She looked genuinely happy. And I, and I think it, it, it went a long way for her. So that was awesome. So that was the first ride. The second ride was, um, a writer that I tell the story of actually at the very last uh, story of this episode. Um, and we had a really good discussion on some stigmas around mental health and using the phrase, that's crazy. So I'm going to save that because that's that's a story in and of itself, um, the last story on today's episode. So you'll get to that. I hope you'll get to that, okay? The third writer of the day was a father and a son. They were headed to the airport, and they were British. And he said that he owned this company. He was over here in the United States on business. And I was like, oh, no way. What do you do? What's your company? And he said that his company is the company that basically sets up outside of all of these airports and all these different car rental places. And they do vending machines that will print you a new key if you lose your key to your car or your apartment 
or you uh, you know you misplace it, whatever. You need a spare. You can go, and for most of the generic type keys, think like Ford. And he said, in in terms of like, um, I can't remember if the stat that he said was for automobile or for housing or like residential and and like business and stuff. But he said that there's one there's one of those sectors that there's three keys that will open a hundred percent of them. You know, there's like like three keys are the form and the shape that you need to use to unlock like a hundred percent of so it's it's not really that hard. So he's like I'm I have these vending machines and we're all over the North America and I had to come over here to keep working on some more contracts, but basically, if anybody loses their keys, then um, you know, instead of having to go to the dealership or whatever, they can just go to one of these vending machines, bada bing, bada boom, they're back on the road. And I was like, oh well, you know what? You, my friend, are the perfect person to pitch then, because I host this podcast and. Just like I'm talking to you guys now, I talk to everybody that comes in the car and I get some really good stories and I do some good interviews and I make a podcast out of it. Obviously, you can see you're riding in a pretty nice stylish car, like a lot of people really fuck with that. And I think I would be a perfect sponsor for you because I take a lot of people that get in the car and say, oh man, I'm on my way to go to my car, I lost my keys, I locked myself out of my car, like I'm, I'm taking them to the dealership, um, it's same thing with, you know, I, I'm picking somebody up that has to go back to the office because they lost their key, or they left their key, but how simple would it be if when I get these people, I just drop them off at your fucking vending machine and give you business, dude, let's make a deal, you know, and f- I'm like, you know, it's almost like when when the when there's so much like symmetry between what I'm doing and the people that I could reach and advertising dollars that a guy like that would spend to try and reach the exact customers that are sitting in my back seat that after having one of these conversations with me would literally buy anything from me if I handed them something to say, "Hey, go buy this, go use this," right? Same thing with car dealerships. People who just got in a car wreck or don't have a car, can't afford a car, just got their car repossessed. Well, maybe not repossessed, but like, you know what I'm saying, right? Got their car stolen. And they're like, yeah, I got to use Uber because I don't have my car right now. It's, I'm like, wow, it would be really smart for a car dealership to kind of jump on this. And maybe um, all these people could be leads that I'm then putting right onto their lot. You know, what's the, what's the hardest way to... Uh, get somebody to actually walk on the lot, right? How do you convince somebody to buy a new car? It's born out of necessity. It's not somebody driving around in their car that they own that hears a spot on the radio or in a podcast or or sees it on television that's like talking about Bill Collins Ford or some, you know, place and is like, yo, that's a good idea. I think I'm going to walk onto a lot, deal with what's perceived in society as the sleaziest type of salesperson there is, a car salesman, and have my mind unmade up walking into that negotiation situation. That happens zero, zero times, zero percent of the times, okay? But if somebody had the insight to see this for what it is and think, wow, that is a really good way to reach these people. 
in person. Like, you know, they're right there with me. I don't know. It's it's baffling that more people don't jump on this. And that's why I grind, you know, to make all those people look like fucking dumbasses later on down the road when they're scratching their head going, that could have been us. Yeah, it could have been, but now it's not. So see you later. But I said this to David, and I don't know. He may end up, you know, um, he was flying back across the pond. He probably stuffed my business card in. He's on his way to the airport. He's not thinking about it. Maybe in a week, he goes back and he finds my card and he goes, oh yeah, that actually did sound like kind of something that we could actually benefit from. And maybe he hits me up or maybe he's one of those people that's like, uh, yeah, this, this, this Uber driver is like selling me on something. Okay. You know? So I don't know, but, uh, whatever. Good luck with your business. And, uh, you know, thanks for the ride. Thanks for the story. Thanks for the story, man. Um, the fourth ride <laughs> was, uh, a woman who had her child with her, her daughter with her, and they were headed over to her mother's house, so this child's grandmother's house, for Easter Sunday. And and this is getting a little bit closer to like, you know, 1.30, we're approaching 2 p.m. on Easter Sunday, so she's headed over there to hang out and spend the day with uh, her her mom. And um, she was, t- it was really cute. She was telling me that, uh, yeah, my, my mom, you know, she's like 53 and she's a grandma, and she doesn't want to be called grandma. She's like, ain't no way my babies are going to be calling me, or, you know, I ain't, I ain't look like a grandma. I ain't going to act like a grandma. I ain't your goddamn grandma. Okay, call me Gigi. And, you know, especially in Kentucky, you know, you get a lot of memaws and papaws and you get some memes and stuff like that. But I've never heard anybody who is a grandma, want to be called Gigi. And I was like, Gigi, that's new. That's cool. I've never heard that one. She said, yeah, because get this. My mom says Gigi stands for a combination of glamorous diva and grandma. So glamorous diva and grandma, she says that makes for Gigi. So call it Gigi. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's all right. Trendsetter. I like that. GG. All right, cool. And then the last ride that I did was um, you know, we really just didn't talk much. Um she was on the phone for a minute and then we really didn't have that much time left in the ride, so but but I did have the opportunity to say, Hey, I have something for you. And that's literally when I would pull up to the place, I'd be like, Hey, I have something for you. After we'd get done talking, they'd be like, Oh, what is it? And I'd hand them and they'd be like, Oh, and so I got that reaction from her, just like all these other people. They thought it was really cool. And um it was just really something special that I that again I just I just wanted to do because like I like that kind of I like being creative like that. And if I get the opportunity to drive on Easter Sunday or my birthday or like when a writer for instance when a writer tells me it's my birthday and if it's just me or if it's been in the past it's been um they have somebody else with them in the car then I'll be like, "Oh, do you want to sing happy birthday to them?" and they're like, "Yeah, let's do it." And I'm like, "All right, let's sing." So, one, two, three. Happy birthday. And I love that. I don't know. I just that just makes me really happy. And uh you know, I I just I don't know, man. I can't say that enough. So, it I'm I'm glowing even just speaking about it. I'm looking at my reflection in the in the Mac screen and I'm just like <laughs> I can see my halo, you know? It's like I love that. So those are just a collection of little short stories, little vignettes, if you will. And um, I hope everybody out there had a happy Easter, whether you're religious or you're not, or it means something to you or it doesn't. 
I let's put it this way. I hope you had a happy Sunday. Okay, uh, that's about as agnostic as I can possibly make it. But I just hope that you had a good day on Sunday. You know, so I know I did, and and I know at least for these five riders, you know, I think they did too. I think they did too. Health King. Last Saturday afternoon in Louisville was absolutely gorgeous. Sunny, highs in the mid-60s, and for somebody that sweats as easily as I do, mid-60s is perfect. And also, taking advantage of how suitable the conditions were outside was a quartet of very nice-looking and lively young people. Two guys and two girls who appeared to be hanging out on a little double date And it made me really happy dropping them off at one of the bars in Nulu and thinking about how nice it was going to be for them to sit outside, have a drink, and spend some quality time together on such a beautiful day. Love that for you guys, all right? Well, the girls sat in the back along with one of the guys, who we'll just call friend one, and the dude who requested the ride, friend two, hops up in the front with me. We were only going like a handful of blocks, so this was maybe a five-minute ride, and at some point, somebody brings up the COVID vaccine, and one of the girls says that she's got both of the doses, and friend two, the one who's sitting next to me, says that he's got his first, as well as the other girl in the back. She had had her first, and I said, same. Friend two's like, yeah, and he kind of turns to look at me up in the front seat. Anything? No, it was chill, I said. It felt like somebody swung a golf club at my arm, but I didn't feel sick or anything like that. One of the girls was like, yeah, I've heard that happens to a lot of people. I said, yeah, a lot of people said it's after the second one, though. And the other girl who had had her second dose says, yeah, mine lasted like three days. I said, what was going on? Chills, fever. I felt like actual garbage. And then friend one, who's sitting in the back, jumps into the conversation for the first time and says, yeah, I don't know about that vaccine, man. It seems pretty sketchy if you ask me. I'm not sure that's something I want to put into my body. And friend two, upon hearing this, makes a face that can only be described as complete and utter contempt, as if this level of hypocrisy spewing from his boy's mouth leaves him feeling in total disgust. Oh, he says, but you'll eat two Big Macs, drink a case of Bud, and sit in a K-hole for 48 hours? Checks out. <laughs> Everybody in the car. Everybody in the car lost it. Everybody in the car lost it. And we just laughed and laughed and laughed. And it was like, boom, roasted. This dude got fucking body bagged by his boy up here sitting in the front. (laughs) Oh my God. Now. Some of you might not know what a K-hole is, okay? And it's not dirty. It's not. It sounds kind of dirty, but it's not. Uh, That's referencing ketamine, which is a drug that people take, and users describe the experience as uh, sometimes you just lose perception of time and, uh, you know, things like distance and space, and you're just like, what the fuck am I? And it can really put you out, and you can easily lose 24 to 48 to 72 hours, depending on how much you're doing it and how often you're doing it. And uh, ketamine, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's dangerous shit, right? But a lot of people do it. It's, it's, it's honestly a very popular recreational drug. And I'm learning how actually recreational that it is and how popular it is, because at first I saw like a, you know, 
it being referenced here or there, and now I'm I'm hearing people talk about ketamine and, and referencing Special K and stuff a lot. So when if you see somebody talking on Twitter or like a meme on Instagram talking about Special K, they're not talking about some wimpy breakfast cereal, okay? They're talking about some hardcore shit. And this guy is like, yeah, yeah, the health king over here, right? Ripping on his friend because... How are you going to be somebody that's like, oh, I don't know, it's a vaccine, it's it's produced by Big Pharma, like I'm kind of skeptical, like I don't know if it's something that I really want to be putting into my body, and yet this is the same person that will buy drugs off of some person in the streets and put it into their body without like knowing at all what it is, how pure it is, what it's made with, where it came from. <laughs> That's the guy that's like, yeah, that vaccine, man. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely savage. Good shit. Bomb squad. This is a trigger warning. If you're somebody that suffers from PTSD, be forewarned that from time to time, I get writers who are current military or former military, and some of the stories that they share are very vivid and graphic accounts of real experiences that they've lived through, like the one that's here on this story right now. So I just want to give you a heads up because the last thing I want to do is trigger anybody's negative response to something that they hear and uh, I don't want to cause any more emotional distress to anybody that suffers from PTSD. So skip this one if uh, that's you, okay? Moving on. This guy was on his way to his second job and he said, yeah, it's a lot, but at least I get the next few days off. I just got to get this last one over with. I said, well, you know what? I'm honored that I can be the guy to get you to this finish line, right? I love that shit. And he told me a little bit about what he does at both jobs. He said that one is an automotive parts company that's contracted by a larger automobile manufacturer. And the other was as an armed security officer at a place that requires some legitimately highly skilled security people, not just some slob with a shirt that says security and a clipboard hitting a button to open a gate, okay? This is like some top-grade shit right here. I said, damn, that's a pretty big contrast between those two. He said, totally different. And when this guy had got in, I noticed that he had one of those backpacks with the signature camouflage that's usually a dead giveaway for the Army, right? So I said, I guess you're military then, right? That backpack? Yeah, yeah, ex-military. Well, thank you for your service, I say. As I say to all of my veterans that get in, thank you for your service. He said, thanks. Army? Yeah, he says. I was a uh, airborne combat engineer, and we pretty much dealt with explosives, razor wire, all that fun stuff. Were you on the bomb squads that would defuse those, or... I mean, it was close to that, but our job was, whenever we were deployed, was route clearance. So we were the ones actually going out and looking for IEDs and explosives and stuff. And what we do is, as long as the bombs or explosives were within a certain caliber or size, we would be able to defuse them ourselves. But if they were just ridiculous, we'd actually have to call our EOD which is our main explosive ordnance disposal group, and they would come out with their robots and handle anything that was just uh, ridiculous. That's like Hurt Locker shit, right? Yeah, they have these big old blast suits and everything. So we didn't carry that stuff, but God, that's still got to be terrifying walking around and you're like the very first line of defense if there's an IED that goes off. It is. And we do a different route every day, 
and it was always within a certain distance around our base just to clear outs for anybody else moving through there. And you never knew. Like, it seemed like every day we picked a route to go on, something would always be different about the route, you know? Like, we'd go down a similar one or the same road every once in a while, and so much had changed through there. Like, stuff had been moved around, and just everything looked sketchy, you know? Sure, I say. I mean, and he kind of trails off, and he's like thinking of how he can describe that feeling, and I said, just paranoid. Yeah, you're thinking just anything at that point could be an explosive, and technically it could. I mean, you can make shit explode out of anything, and you got trash all over the roads. It was just a mess. Now, where was that? Was that Iraq or Afghanistan, I say? Baghdad in Iraq. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, it was a mess. What years were you over there? I was over there from 09 to 10. Did you ever have any close calls? Yeah. They started introducing something that was called the EFP, which is an explosively formed projectile. Right around that time, that was coming up, that was a big deal. And what that basically is, is like, say you've got a coffee can, for example, and in the bottom of this coffee can, you have explosive. And then above that, you have a little buffer, and above that, you have like an inverted bowl of copper, per se. And they aim this at wherever it is they want to launch this fucking doom explosive at. And when it blows up, it basically pushes that buffer, melts that copper, and launches it out like a projectile. And it'll go through anything we got. Tanks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anything. Up-armored vehicles? All that shit. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like a molten bolt of lava that flies out at ridiculous speeds. But yeah, anyways, they had about six of these lined up behind this billboard. And they were positioned in such a way that they would have gone through each of the windows of our biggest up-armored vehicles and been able to hit everyone in it. I mean, they're pretty smart with their accuracy and whatnot with some of this stuff. So we go through, they go off and they hit the vehicle right in front of me, end up killing our gunner, unfortunately, and missed everyone else by just a hair. Like, if it had gone off less than a second sooner, it would have killed everybody else in the vehicles. It was absolutely terrifying. We got out, we pulled him out, we tried to save him, but obviously it just wasn't happening. Was it like a liquid that gets onto the skin? or Because you said lava, so is it like a liquid substance? Or like, yeah, it's basically that. It's molten copper, and it's so hot, and it shoots out like a projectile. And you got that with the shrapnel from the can and everything else that launches out. It's ugly, man. So what happens next? Well, we had to see who all was injured. And in my mind, I'm thinking we're about to be ambushed. So I get out of the vehicle and take cover and find out where the enemy is because you don't know where they set him off at. So it was just like a cluster of emotions and freaking out. And yeah, once we did that, we pulled him out. We put him on the medical vehicle. There wasn't really anyone around but a few popping shots off at us. So we managed to kind of control the situation where no one else got injured. Thank God, I say. But that was what we saw for the most part. We never really ran into contact with large groups of enemies opening fire on us. It was so much guerrilla tactics at this point in time 
because they knew what we were allowed to do and what we weren't allowed to do. So they would take advantage of that and exploit it. In terms of engagement, yeah. So what they do is there'd be one or two of them within a crowd of innocent people and they'd pop off a shot at us knowing that we're not going to open fire on a crowd of civilians. So they'd do that and then just bolt off. And then hiding all the explosives and shit. That was what we saw the majority of the time that we were there. Other than that, we had this one ridiculous road that stretched for at least 20 miles. Just this one open long road with a massive cornfield or whatever right to the right of it. And we called this road RPG Road because every once in a while, one of them would pop out of this cornfield with a rocket launcher and launch it right at the vehicles that are driving by. And it happened to us one time in particular. Uh, One of them jumps out, launches the RPG at one of our RG up-armored vehicles, which for those of you that don't know what that is, it looks like the classic Hummer or Jeep-style vehicle with the turret on top. Okay, But he says, luckily... We had what's called an RPG cage around the vehicle, and it's basically like this real tough fence deal, and for the RPG's rocket to actually blow up, the front of it actually has to hit something. There's got to be force and impact to the front of it for it to explode, and what this cage does is it locks the rocket into wherever, and it basically traps the sides of it so that it doesn't actually hit that tip of the rocket and activate the explosive, and just about anywhere it hits... Unless you get real lucky and it hits the actual fence itself, which doesn't happen too commonly, but it ended up launching into the fence and it just stuck there. And yeah, we got back to our post and ended up taking pictures of the rocket sticking out and just freaking out about it. Because you're probably thinking this could go off at any minute. Yeah, exactly. You never knew. We were just waiting for some idiot to start poking at it. Luckily, no one did. Everyone was smart enough to say, hey, there's still a live rocket. Let's not mess with it. <laughs> Could you imagine like you're like, driving down the street, rocket launcher comes in, and it's like, oh, my God. It's like, uh, oh, my God, what is that scene? It's in Saving Private Ryan. There's a scene where these guys are on the beach, and one of them takes a bullet to the helmet, and he pulls the helmet off, and he's looking at the guy next to him, and he's like, oh, my God, I can't fucking believe it. And then, boom bullet to the head he's dead right that would be like in this case you're driving down the road and an rpg gets launched at you it gets caught in the cage and everybody's like look at this guys oh my god taking pictures of it and then boom explodes that would be i think the definition of irony it might be wrong (laughs) um that would be a not ideal situation so i don't want to think any more about that luckily nobody was hurt in the uh in that one right there. So um, I'm kind of like shifting gears a little bit and I ask this guy because I'm not very far removed from having this discussion with another writer like on last episode telling me about mercenaries and some of the stuff that he dealt with um, being deployed on tours throughout the Middle East. And I tell this guy, well, I talked to uh, another veteran who was saying that he was over in Afghanistan and Iraq from 06, 07, and then back again in 08 and 09. And he was telling me, he said, dude, what you know about the war is a lie. The people that we fought and shot at, they were all hired mercs, bro. We would do BDA, and none of them, what was left of them, looked like the locals. 
Like, I had a buddy who swears up and down that he had Chinese dudes shooting at him and when they were in fights. So did you find that to be true at all? And he said, you know, not so much where we were at, but that was a really common thing, especially in Afghanistan. There was a lot of speculation of that there. And a bit more of the crowded areas in Iraq too, but it was really common in Afghanistan for some reason. And it's funny that you say that because I've heard that same thing several times. And a cousin of mine, he was in the Marines and he said something similar to that as well. Really? Yeah. Like he said he saw actual white guys too, just not even foreign. I wonder if those are the people who defected to ISIS. Very well could be, he said. Or maybe deserters from the military who had gone AWOL and joined him. I said, Bo Bergdahl. Yeah, he says. Was that crazy? Because that was right around 0809 too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he says, almost as if he's been asked a million times about this. That's exactly what that response was. He answered it like, oh, this again, right? He said, uh-huh. Yeah, they made a huge deal out of that. And yeah, I mean, I that was just absolutely ridiculous. And then they tried to defend him and this and that, but there's no good excuse for that. He knew what he did. I said, yeah, there's a really good podcast about that. He said, yeah, that was just absolutely ridiculous. Because he put everybody in danger, right? Yeah, he did. And then for him to run away and freely go with them like that, that's putting everybody's information and stuff at jeopardy too. And that's basically about where the ride ended. Uh, But I did find it really interesting because when he mentioned that he was over there and then that Bo Bergdahl thing came up, I just pulled that out of nowhere, right? And it was just interesting to me to be able to speak to somebody that was there during that time because the podcast that I referenced, it was one of the very first podcasts that ever got me onto podcasts, to be honest, was Serial Season 2. Um, it's a spinoff of the show This American Life Sarah Koenig hosts these, I think they've done three seasons. One of them was about uh, Adnan Saeed. He's, uh, you know, wrongfully convicted. And then season two was Bo Bergdahl, who is this soldier that walked off of his base and triggers this enormous response from the military trying to find this guy. And they don't know if he's been captured. They don't know if he was taken hostage. They don't know if he's just a deserter. But basically, the army was forced to dedicate a lot of resources, a lot of guys and women, into this search mission, which has been described as like finding a needle in a haystack. And it pissed a lot of people off. A lot of people in the military, even though it was heralded as, thank God we found Bo. Um, President Obama gave him a medal, and he endured a lot. I mean, he was captured by the enemy, and he was shown in these different videos, but it's uncertain how brutal his treatment actually was. I'm sure it sucked, don't get me wrong, to be captured by the Taliban and have to live with them for um, the better part of a fucking decade, right? But amongst... That was like that. That was like how they presented it to America. Like we got our guy back, and uh, you know, whatever. Even though we say that we don't negotiate with terrorists, we did trade Bo Bergdahl for five senior Taliban officials. So whatever, um, <laughs> hypocrites. But uh, 
it was interesting because it was like one, that was like the way that it was dressed up to America, right? But if you speak to most military men and women, especially who were in the army, especially there during that time, they look at him as a traitor. And imagine, so again, coming back to Saving Private Ryan, there were guys in that company that Tom Hanks was leading to go and find Private Ryan that were like, fuck this mission. We've already lost two of our guys and we got to go find this guy just because his three brothers died in combat and America doesn't want this guy's family to be uh, without any kids at all. So we're going to go save this guy and put our entire company at risk for one life. Is it worth it? That's a really good debate, right? The good of one person versus the good and potential harm of many. That's that's kind of one of those dilemmas, right? But I'll move off of that to continue on with this thought before I get distracted and, and totally lose it. Um, those guys felt like that going to save Private Ryan, but Private Ryan was a soldier and hadn't walked off his base and hadn't put people at risk. He was putting people at risk by that were going in to look for him, but like he was a soldier doing his job. And Bo Bergdahl, unlike Private Ryan, walked off his base, willingly, went AWOL, deserted. And so it's not like we got to go find this guy who's doing his thing, he's one of us. No, they've got to go find some guy that they fucking despise and then along the way, while they're dedicated and pouring all these resources into finding him and sweeping all, like, for years, right? And especially right after he goes missing, no one knows what's going on. And now you've got different routes that you're having to take and different channels you're navigating in order to try to find this soldier. And people died. And in researching this story, there was some discrepancies over, you know, the military actually saying, yeah, these eight people definitely died as a result of this search mission. Um, But if you talk to people who were there, okay, not Wikipedia, I mean, like this guy, he's saying, look, people died and people died that would not have died had this guy not done what he did. And it's bullshit. And fuck that guy. And I'm sure that a lot of other military men and women feel that exact same way. And I don't know. I, I just, I love that. And I love that season of Serial. So if you are listening to this, you obviously love podcasts as well. And obviously, if you're listening to this, you love the best podcast possible, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But seriously, Serial is like, it's like podcast porn to me, honestly, because there's so many subtleties of what makes a good podcast in terms of the production listening to that, the music that plays underneath, it's kind of leading you into a different scene. You kind of know when things are moving along, when one thing is kind of ending almost like a chapter in a book. And where I, I, it just it just there's so many elements of what is a great podcast and what makes a great podcast that are in serial. And Sarah Koenig is awesome. She is just really I don't know. I love listening to her voice and it's one of my favorite podcasts and I wish that they made more seasons regularly because season three came out in 2018 and I don't know if they're going to make any more, um, but it is, it, they're, they're really good. So 
If you love podcasts, if you're new to podcasts, Serial Season 2. And I, there's one guy in there, his name is Kenneth Dahl, and he just reminds me of like a Captain America. Like He just sounds like this badass, gruff general, and he's like, no, that's not how we do things. Like, Oh, I, that's probably not how he actually sounds. That's probably like my imagination making him sound that way. But he's just got a really distinct voice. And the entire time I listened to this guy, I was just like, God, this guy's a fucking badass. Like, I, I just want to meet this guy. I just want to like buy this guy a beer and hang out with this guy for like 10 minutes and get his stories because I guarantee they're amazing. They're incredible. Um, so yeah, go listen to Serial Season 2. And uh, you, you can get some more information on Bo Bergdahl. But that's about it. I don't know. I just, I found that one really interesting. And certainly close calls like that. I mean, that's enough to scare you. That's enough to give you PTSD. Just having that close of a call and you go to sleep and you have a nightmare. Like, what if it had gone off? What if the next time? And you start to get scared. Um, and The Hurt Locker, if you haven't seen The Hurt Locker, I actually watched it pretty recently. And it's... Uh, I don't, you know, I never really understood why they named it the way that they did, honestly. When it came out, it took me a few years to watch that movie. I don't know why. I love Jeremy Renner now. Uh, I didn't know who he was at the time that it came out. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but the black dude who's in there was also in Pain and Gain and was one of the, I think he was Adrian Dorball, which is one of the guys that went, it was like a... Uh, steroids kind of like ring down in Florida Mark Wahlberg's in it The Rock is in it and it's it's a Michael Bay movie probably one of the only Michael Bay movies that I like and it's really gruesome it's fucking nasty in some of the parts um but it but it really is a good movie but anyways he he's a good actor and I can't remember his name but um it's a really good movie and it shows Jeremy Renner as this guy who's addicted he's addicted to going out and being this maverick that diffuses these bombs and sometimes doesn't even wear the fucking bomb suit. And uh, by the end of the movie, it, it shows how those environments and those elements can cause people to react to them in different ways. So one of the guys is like, fuck this, I'm out. I'm, I don't ever want to go back, you know. And then the Jeremy Renner character is like, Put it in my fucking veins. Give me more. And I'm just like, damn, that dude is a savage. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting really, really off topic here. But all of the media that I just referenced, Hurt Locker, Serial, um, Saving Private Ryan, Pain and Gain, all really good movies, all really good podcasts. Uh, you should check them out if you haven't. Obviously, if you you probably seen some of those, you better have seen Saving Private Ryan. Give me a fucking break. But um, yeah. Anyways, I think that's a good stopping point. But that guy, badass. I'm glad to hear that nobody was hurt. That uh, and and he didn't, you know. But I'm sure even just um, you know, like that the the coffee can thing, you know, with the molten lava. I mean, he he definitely did see a lot of what soldiers experience as being hell being literally being a living hell like you don't want to be there you're watching your buddies die you're seeing extreme nasty disgusting carnage from war and it's ugly and they say war is hell and i i absolutely that's why they you know it's like people who get in they say that they're ex-military or they're former military 
Um, and even police, you know, I, I'll be honest, like police, EMS and firefighters, I say thank you for your service because I think that's just something that you should do. And I, I believe that. And I feel passionate about that. Now, I, I might not always, I know that's, <laughs> it's sad that that's kind of a hot take to actually respect police officers the way that this year is gone. And I have at different points on this podcast absolutely voiced all of my displeasures with police and systematic policing and the way that um, police treat people in this country, specifically people of color, and also um, my experiences as kind of a youth who is kind of getting into some trouble and the way that I saw police treat me and treat me at different times when I had like black friends around and the hostility that they showed towards us then versus when it was just me and maybe some white friends and the the slack they were willing to cut us when it was like, oh, these are just a bunch of kids that were doing the same shit that when we were in high school, Tommy. It's like, wow, there's a difference. I wonder what that difference is, right? I've talked about all that stuff. But it is also a very dangerous job that they choose to do, so that's fine. But I just, I believe that thanking them for their service is also something that I just, I don't know, I, I do it. So, um, yeah, do whatever you're going to do. But uh, I tip my cap to those people. So, thank you for your service. Kindness does not equal weakness. So, this was uh, a guy that I picked up from the airport, and he said he was a sales manager for a pharmaceutical company who was in town to go on some meetings with one of his reps. And he also, when he got in, I, I really like this part, he said, uh, you know, when I was sitting there with nothing to do waiting on you, I was reading your reviews. You're like the rock star of Uber. I'm like, dang, I'm going to be riding with royalty, he said. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, that's like, oh, my God, you know, like, because I do have pretty good reviews and I get, you know, 4.97, what's good, right? And so uh, I'm like, damn, he's not the first person that's ever said that when they got in, but, uh, you know. The rock star of Uber, I like the ring of that, you know? If only they would embrace me and be like, hey, listen, we'll give you some hookups to give to your riders, and we'll become a sponsor on this thing. Like, I don't know, you know? <sighs> one day, my friends. One day, okay? But, uh, yeah, he said that, and I was like, I was, you know what? I was humble about it. You know, for, for as much bravado and kind of like uh, little things that I'll do on the show that might make somebody think like, God, that guy, he's, 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 he thinks pretty highly of himself, doesn't he? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I present that, and and for the most part, like, I'm just confident in myself, you know? that That's what it is. I don't think I'm very, very arrogant or, like, egotistical, right? But I, I, I'm confident because I know who I am and I'm real with myself, right? But um, I, I don't think that uh, I'm, I'm this big egomaniac or something. And, you know, when I'm actually in the moment with somebody, I actually am pretty humble and the humility of my response to that was you know what though to be fair I think the car kind of sells itself you know but I'm always happy when uh people enjoy the conversations obviously so and I take that as like you know thank you thank you that's a that's a, that's a very genuine compliment so um I told him you know I, I host this podcast and I talk to everybody that gets in so that's probably why everybody always talks about you know and leaves reviews about the conversation or enjoyed this or thank you or best Uber driver ever I felt like I was riding in fucking uh I was President Trump you know riding with Melania I kept looking for Melania the guy said that about the car one time I was like you know great and that is you get in a nicer car 
you're probably um, going to treat the driver a little bit nicer than you would if it was like a car that smelled bad and wasn't very nice. You know, it's just, I don't know, one of those things. But anyways, uh, I tell them about the podcast and I tell them, yeah, that's probably why too, you know. And uh, I say, so if you give me a story, it might be on one of these episodes, which let me just tell you, never ever delivers and produces a story. Because when I put people on the spot like that, what happens is they start to think and then their brain takes over and they get anxious about trying to tell a good story or be funny when in reality the best stories are the ones that just come from a real place um, or that come and are about people simply just being themselves, right? Because that's real That's and, th- and those are the best stories. So as he's kind of racking his brain, I can tell he's stumped and he's like, uh... I don't know that I have any good stories that are like good enough for a podcast, right? And so then this is when, because I've learned now, um, this is when I'll kick it to something a little bit more generic, like a conversation piece to start something. And then it's one of those, I'm going to ask this and you can take it anywhere you want to go. And then based on your answer to that, I'll kind of hone in on something and then we're off and running, right? Well, the guy told me that he's in town on business and he's a manager. So I'm like thinking, okay, okay. Well, how about this? Give me the truest piece of business advice that you've ever given or received. And without even skipping a beat, he says, well, you know, it's like the golden rule. Do unto others as you've had, do unto others as you'd have done to you. I found that if you treat people well, it usually works out. Always try to look at the situation through their lens as a people leader because we all have our own perspective. I don't get real excited about being the guy that wears the badge, like the control thing and the power thing. That's not really me. I'd rather just be the guy that's like, okay, let's just get it done. If it means standing here with you and doing it with you side by side in order for it to get done, I'll do that. I'm happy to do that. And I think people respond pretty well to that. Well, sometimes there's a natural resistance to that person, no matter how cool you are. Once you get that spot, people are almost like, well, I'm not going to listen to that person anymore. You know what I mean? He said, yeah, that's true. So that brings me out of my comfort zone as a leader because I know that not everybody's going to respond like that. But like, I have a guy right now that reports to me that we were peers for many years and then I became his manager And he tries very, very hard. I think he genuinely tries hard to get past it, the ego thing. But he can't. And it's tough. And he challenges me all the time. And he tries to take advantage of what used to be a friendship. And he's found out that he's made me, like, um, because I have no, hey, here's one for you. Don't ever mistake kindness for weakness. That's what he's found out. Ha-ha, I said. Ha-ha, I said. See how I peel this stuff away? It's like Shrek, you know? People are like onions, right? This is just like me. I'm like, you see what I do? So the guy continues, and he says, I've seen the other side of it, and he's seen the other side of me, and I don't think he's enjoyed it too much. He expects you to cut him some slack. Oh, all kinds, yeah. And he expects to really not do the job anymore, and he's just very entitled, He has years of history with the company, and he thinks that should be enough. And I don't know what area you're living in, but what did you do for me five minutes ago? 
which I'm not like that, but I also expect people to work hard. Sure, I said. You wouldn't expect anybody to do something that you wouldn't, right? He says, right. I said, is he just another sales rep? And the guy says, so my title is senior director. So I have responsibility through the country and Puerto Rico, like our North American markets in Puerto Rico. And what we do is, let's just say your health insurance is Blue Cross Blue Shield Anthem here in Kentucky. My team is the one that does the contracts with the insurance companies to make sure that our drugs are covered on your insurance card if your doctor writes a prescription for a drug. So I have seven directors across the country who report to me that negotiate these contracts. And then we have a medical team that supports us with presentations. And then we have a legal team that supports us with some of the contract stuff. So it's a pretty responsible job and one that you should be very happy to have Because it's one of the positions that a lot of people internally want. And it irritates me that he's not doing his work. And then there's a lot of good people that would do a lot better than him right now that want his job that can't have it. So he's either going to get on board or he's going to have to find something else to do. I said, yeah, does he know that he could be replaced? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're having those discussions now. That's tough, I said. Especially when you start with somebody and you get in around the same time and then one person takes a position that's above or an advancement like you have and then you're sitting there looking at the buddy you used to have or the person you looked at as your peer and you're kind of like, we started at the same time, now my career isn't going in the same trajectory and now I'm kind of resenting that person because they're onto that and I'm still stuck here doing the same thing. And he said, well, and the story gets a little better from a financial standpoint because we both used to work along with several other of our current peers. We used to work for another big pharma company. And like many of pharma, they have to have cuts every so often. And he got cut because of performance seven years ago from our old company. And then two years ago, they offered a very lucrative buyout to us. And all of us took it. And we got two-year severance. So that's up in June, but I've been getting paid every two weeks for two years to work another job, plus the health benefits and everything. That's awesome, I said. So when he got let go, he got like three months. Okay, we all, the people who were still there, we got two years severance. This guy got three months severance when he got let go. So, wow. I'm like, I'm getting two years, and then he went to this other company, somebody hired him, like, I would have never hired him. I like him, but I would have never hired him. But, um, so then, my old VP at the other company, she was running this company now, and she inherited him, and she's like, oh, God. So, she called me, she's like, so, what are you going to do about the buyout? I said, I think I'm going to take it, and if I can find something... You know, I want to know that I have something before I push the button and accept it. And she says, I think the timing is good because I think I have something for you. So she offered me the position after I interviewed. So I came in as his boss at this other company. (laughs) I laughed. And he said, yeah, yeah. And he's laughing. And he said, so that really made him mad. 
<laughs> I said, I can't get rid of this guy, you know, uh, as if I'm one of them. And he's like, yeah. So he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, that's tough because you probably know that that relationship is never going to get back to a good place. It's never. It's never going to be, you know, he says, yeah. And you know what? He's like, not that I'm that far behind him, but he's like 61. But like, I'm still hungry. I still go at it. I still work like I'm a 35-year-old guy, and he doesn't. He just wants to coast out. And I'm like, we can't do that. We don't have, not that I would allow that anyways, but we don't have enough headcount for you to just kind of stand around and do nothing all day. Sure. Yeah, you're a fit guy, I say. He said, yeah, that's what's interesting too. Thank you. He's a fit guy too. He's very fit. So you would think he'd be still grinding, I say. Yeah, but looks can be deceiving. And that's the problem. Instead of working, he's out there playing tennis and golf all day. So why don't you guys maybe just float him a little retirement package and maybe just try and end on good terms and get him out of there? Well, it's just, I mean, and this is probably where I sound like an a-hole, but I just don't want to reward bad behavior. I mean, that's what he's hoping we'll do. And I'm like, actually, it's not going to end like that. If you don't get your act together, you're going to go out with not much. What you were worth at the time you were with us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, that's a good dilemma. That's a good Like, not in the sense that you're dealing with it, right? That's not good, but that's like a juicy kind of big picture thing, you know? What do you do if you're you? He said, yeah, so that's the reason it comes back to like what I've always said is, and the way that I've led people, like I really try to treat people well. Like I said, I treat people the way that I want to be treated in business. And like I have been treated when I was in those roles. But sometimes when you're kind to people, they do mistake that for weakness, and they think, I can take advantage of this guy, and they're always so shocked when they see the other side of you, and literally, as he's saying this, we're pulling up to his hotel by now, and I throw it in park, and I say, well, look at that, this turned into a story right there, man, see what I do, and he said, oh, see, you bring it out in us, you really do, you really do, (laughs) so that was a really cool ride, and, uh, I actually have seen, I, I, like, I lived this experience when I was working at um, one of the companies that, well, there's only two of them, so it's not really like I'm going to save myself from outing this person, but basically, on the West Coast, when I was working for Winger, there was a guy that was up in the Pacific Northwest region, and he would act like he was being helpful, he would... He was a very nice guy. I really, really like this guy. And I, and I, you know, I really respect this guy in terms of just, he's a likable guy. And that's the reason I think he does well in sales isn't because he grinds. It's because he's a, he's a likable guy, right? And he knows enough and he's been doing it long enough. But at first, when I would look at this guy, I would think, wow, he's really trying to help me. And then I would realize that he thought he was trying to help but he really wasn't helping at all. He would send me on these wild goose chases and be like, all right, well, get the GC on the phone. Here, I'll help you. I'll help you. And it would really just complicate things even more. And I don't know if that was done purposely because, you know, he's sitting there as kind of like the the old dog. And I would literally tell him, I, I literally was like, we have the type of relationship that 
uh, in the Fox and the Hound where there's the puppy that comes and then there's like the old grumpy dog who's like the older one, you know, the gray one. And um, it's like that, you know, I would always call him and he'd be like, what do you want? And he would answer the phone that way. And obviously he was fucking around. He'd be like, no, what's going on? You know, but I would always feel like I'm this kind of young, hungry, eager to learn guy. And he's kind of like the the jaded veteran that's just basically taking a knee on the days until he can retire with the company. And he's hoping that they're going to give him that money to kind of be like, all right, thanks so much for all your years of hard work. Thanks for everything that you did. And um, here you go. And it would be like a nice amicable way to move on for both parties because the company's looking at him like, hey, we kind of need some more from you. And if you don't, if you're not up to this, if you don't have the energy for this, that's fine. Thanks for what you've done for us, but we're going to go in a different route. And he's just hoping that they come to him and one day say, thanks for all you've done. And are you ready to retire? Here's all this money. Can we make it any easier for you? You know, it's like, dude, no, you've got to work and don't act like you're trying to help and be this really super great manager that, that would tell me like, you know, I wanted your boss's job. You know, I wanted to be managing you guys out here in California. And it's like, okay, but are you, how, how do you think that would have gone when, when you had the opportunity to manage all of these different markets in California between Northern California and Southern California and the San Diego slash Mexico market way down there, how did you do? Oh, yeah. When I came into the territory, Salesforce was a fucking joke. I mean, I was trying to go back and read notes that he had left in these accounts I'm tracking down accounts that are like two years old. They're 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 like they should have been closed. Nothing was done right, and it took me probably three or four months to even figure out what the fuck was going on. When the entire point of Salesforce is so that anybody that starts in a job or any manager that wants to get caught up on what's going on or anybody that wants to do the same thing can easily go in there, look at the history, look at the notes, look at the meetings, and be like, okay, here's where this account is. That's the whole point, okay? And the company's stance on Salesforce was so ridiculous and let bullshit like this exist where this guy could go in and write these fucking notes and this way of dialogue between him and the price coordinator that would do all the pricing for the stuff it was like trying to read hieroglyphics i'd be like what the fuck and i was forced to 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 call and be like i need uh some clarity on this hey is this project still alive i can't really find anything on this like can you can you help me out here and it would be this wild goose chase basically for months and months and months and it was just like you know he would say he would, and, and, and God, he was just like classic, like boomers do this a lot. Classic boomers will want to make themselves sound like how hard they work. They'll, they want to impress you with like, yeah, I do all this stuff and, you know, just really talk about all the things that they do to make themselves sound really hardworking. And look, it's not just boomers that do it. A lot of people are guilty of that. I have no patience for that. It's like, Oh, well, if you have to tell me about it, like, you know, I don't know. The hardest working people that I know, they might, they, it might come up. They might not be scared to talk about it, but they pretty much put their fucking head down and grind and shut the fuck up about it. Like, that's, those are the hardest working people that I know, okay? The guy or the girl that's like, 
telling you this laundry list that has it almost prepared as if they've been concocting this thing and this pitch and this spiel to give to make you think, wow, that person really is a hard worker. You know, that's probably one of the people that that more often than not, in my experiences, those people are full of shit. Those people are full of shit and see right through that as a smokescreen for I just hope that you'll think I'm as busy as I sound because honestly, I'm up here not doing shit. And honestly, the more that I got deeper with that company, it kind of felt like that's what he was doing the entire time. But he would be the first person to tell you all the stuff that he was doing, how busy he was, and oh my God, I got to do this, and I never get a minute. And it's like, come on, man, you're on the back nine, you're chilling, you're way out here, way in the fucking corner of the country hoping that no one exposes you you're hoping that no one figures out what you're doing because it's really it's it's not doing shit and all the projects that you're bringing in and all the sales that you're bringing in like you're still coming close to your number or hitting your number for the year but that's because you've built these relationships over 20 plus years and of course you're going to get the contracts of course you're going to get the projects and of course you have all these buddy buddy relationships with the GCs and the architects so of course they're going to designate your shit in their design documents and specify all your stuff and write your products in because you've greased those wheels for 20 plus years you know like of course they are so is it because you're really working hard that you hit that number or is it because you know all these people and you buy them some lunches every now and then yeah okay Okay, and is that why when you tried to take over the California markets, it was a fucking disaster, or you generated a lot of new business? Okay, okay, that's what I thought, okay? And it's, and, and it's really, it made me think of, I was like, damn, this guy, this manager who does all of this business for this big pharma company all throughout North America and Puerto Rico, like, all of those teams report to him. He's like a big wig guy, right? And he's telling me about this one of seven people who who directly report to him that is trying to do like kind of the same shit. Like, hey, I've been here. I don't really have to work as hard. Just praying for this payday. And this guy is like, this guy's got another fucking thing coming if he thinks that he's going to get us to give him some money to just go away, right? Right off into the sunset. And I'm not one of those, what have you done for me lately, managers, but I expect you to do your fucking job. Like, don't just come in here and just be like, well, what I've done in the past is good enough, so, you know, you guys owe me something. I don't owe you anything. It's like, every single day that you go into your job, whether you hate it or whether you love it, is another audition. Think of it as another audition to prove why your manager made the right decision, why you deserve to be there, why you're qualified to be there, and if you're not qualified, you don't have the experience, why you're going to work your ass off to prove that you deserve to be there. So, think about that. Okay? Think about that. But that was a that was that was juicy, right? That was juicy. And again, it's like when I tell people, "Hey, give me a story. If you give me a story, it might it stumps people because it puts people on the spot." And it's very rare that I'll get the person who actually has a good story. And those are, you know, anytime that's happened, maybe like two out of, I don't know, 30. Like I don't do it very often anymore. I, I try never to do it. But um, <laughs> it, it, it only produced stories from something that happened very recently, within the last couple of days. So it was very fresh on those people's minds. Other stuff... It just, you tell somebody, hey, give me a good story. It's like telling a comedian, like, be funny. 
And it's like, uh, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, like, you know, it kind of stumps somebody. But if we start talking and I just naturally start to ask questions, then I'm probably going to uncover something that's worth the story, like this one right here, which makes for a good, juicy business manager dilemma and reinforces the notion that kindness should not be mistaken for weakness. Because if you do that and you assume that about people, you're going to be unpleasantly surprised, my friends. And that's real talk. They're crazy. So I picked up this writer. We'll just call her Janie. All right, why not? (laughs) And she said that she was on her way to murder her boyfriend. It's like, oh, shit, you know? Jokingly, she said this, right? Because her boyfriend had borrowed a car the previous night, and it was like noon on Easter Sunday, and she was still, he was still asleep, and she was cutting it pretty close to not being able to pick up her mom, who was flying in from New York. So this guy borrows the car, falls asleep, can't be bothered at 12 noon on Easter Sunday to pick up the phone, and he slept through like 15 missed calls. So he's he's doing great. He's doing great. So she's like, yeah, I'm on my way to murder my boyfriend. I'm like, wow, I've, I've been there a few times. Not that scenario, but uh, absolutely worthy of being murdered by my girlfriend a couple of times. <laughs> Probably more than a couple, but okay. So we were talking about Easter traditions in our families, and she was telling me what they used to do and what I used to do and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, since she had mentioned that she wasn't from Kentucky and that her mother was coming down from New York, after a little bit, I asked, so how long have you been in Kentucky? Um, well, I did my undergrad, and then I'm finishing my doctorate in August, so I guess seven years. But I go back and forth, and then with COVID... I went back home for a while while all my stuff was online. I'm going to be a psychiatrist, so all my patients were telehealth, I said. Yeah, so I went home for a few months. Well, congratulations on being about to graduate. Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome, I said. Do you think you'll stay in Kentucky or do you want to go back to New York? That's what everybody's been asking me. And the thing with, because mostly... The only problem with psychiatrists is prescribing across state lines. But telehealth used to be that no insurance companies covered it because they just didn't. But now they all do because they had to. So you can do it from anywhere. Telemedicine has really changed the game. Which is good, right? Oh, yeah, it's great. Like, I can move to California for a few months if I want. Or, I don't know, you just don't have to start a job and settle down anywhere. You can go wherever you want. So... When you're in school for that, do you take the exact same classes as people studying to be psychologists? Because the difference is psychiatrists can prog- psychiatrists can prescribe medication, right? Right. So I'm going to be a nurse practitioner. So you pick a... Like the difference between us and MDs is with nurse practitioners, you pick a track like psych, kidneys, brain, whatever. And then you can just prescribe only for that. But doctors can switch to a different specialty because they did all of those classes when they were going through school. But I've just been studying psych for three years. So if I wanted to do some other specialty, I'd have to go back to school. But I love my crazies. Is that what you call them? (laughs) No, no. I've actually tried to take that word out of my vocabulary because 
I look at the way my friends talk about people when they're going through breakups and stuff and they're like, they're crazy. And I'm like, you don't, you only know their side or the opposing person's side. There's probably like, like most people have a legitimate reason for doing the stuff that they did. Sure. And they'll be like, oh, they're crazy. But what if the other person calling them that was emotionally abusive for however long they were dating and like pushed them over the edge? So I try to take crazy out of my vocabulary and I get really annoyed with my friends when they say it. It's a hurtful word, I said. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's also vague. Like, what is crazy? Like, crazy to you might be, and she's kind of searching for something, and I said, people have great ideas and they get called crazy. Exactly. That's a good point, right? Yeah, Um. I think even though he is a character and I wish he would medicate himself, Kanye West. <laughs> I start to laugh. Yeah, I said, yeah, no, literally, like, oh my God, Kanye West is literally, I think he is like a great, he's a genius. Like some of the shit he comes up with is so beyond creative, but he's clearly manic bipolar. Yeah, I said, like no doubt about it. So I'm the same way. Really? Yeah, manic bipolar. Are you? Yeah, cool. Didn't know till I was 27. I'm 29 now. Well, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear about it, she said. And I told her about having ADHD as a kid and what I experience in terms of what my symptoms are like when I'm manic or I'm depressed and the medicine that I'm on now and like how I'm doing with all of that. And we covered all that stuff. And if you want to know more about that, I've covered that at different specials that I've done on this podcast. So just go back and listen to some of the ones that aren't titled Uber Stories and you know, I, I talk about it pretty openly throughout stories or, um, you know, with different writers. And I said, um, you know, we're just kind of talking about that. But when when I said that, when I was like, yeah, me too, I think she was, her reaction to that was was a little bit surprised. And I don't necessarily know if I captured it retelling, you know, that in that moment. But it was almost surprised. Like she, she kind of tried, it was like... Um, when you say something and then you wish that you hadn't said it. And I know that she had to have been after we left. And she was really pleasant. And I don't think that, you know, obviously what she said following that was what's most important in, in acknowledging that there is a problem with saying that somebody's crazy and saying that and just kind of throwing it around and not thinking about what that actually means or how hurtful and harmful that actually can be. Um and she followed it up with that, and I totally think that she, you know, it's just, but but still, like, she just fucking said it to a fucking stranger, like an Uber driver, right? And I know it gets back to this thing of, like, it's amazing what will tell a complete stranger, but if she throws it around like that, then where else does she say it, right? I mean, it's like one of those classic things where you watch somebody make a racist or a sexist remark in a video, and what they think is a private moment, and it's like wow, if that's what they say, then I wonder where else they say that and who else they say that about and how many other times they say that and who else is around. And it's like, so I get it. So, you know, I don't think she's a terrible person, but um, the reason that I wanted to use this as the last story today was to speak to that because I think it's a teaching moment. And when she said it and she realized that I was manic bipolar, she kind of, I think, was a little bit embarrassed and I think she probably got out of the car slightly embarrassed 
because of the fact that she called her patients my crazies. Because I guarantee she would never say that to their face and she would be totally embarrassed and ashamed if it was found out who she was and that got back to them and she was saying that and her patients were like, wow, really? Are you fucking kidding me? And I guarantee she would be totally embarrassed and ashamed. So that's not what I'm here to do. Again, I'm not here to out anybody or, or shame anybody. But I am here to use that little moment as something to speak to a larger point, which is saying that someone is crazy is really harmful. It really is. And it's hurtful. And if everyone has become this champion of mental health that we all now claim to be, and you want to post about mental health is so important, then something that you can check yourself, okay, in in terms of am I really being as helpful as I think that I'm being, is to examine the ways and the words in which we describe people and throw around even when we're not even thinking about it. So, for instance, when you say somebody is crazy, right? I do. I, I, I slightly take offense to that because somebody, some people describe people who are bipolar as being crazy. And there's definitely different shades of it. There's different degrees, I think, in which somebody can be severely manic and severely depressed. And somebody might just have a more mild form and case of bipolar disorder, which is a disease, right? Or take any of these other mental health disorders that people get, PTSD, either from war or rape victims or living through something like a car crash can cause PTSD. And somebody might not ever be the same after having gone through and lived that experience. And when you say, oh, they're crazy, that's hurtful. That's really harmful. And, and you're just like, you're dismissing them. And saying that is basically saying, well, anything that you say or do is now invalid because you're crazy. Because crazy is what I define it as, which is really subjective. And like I said, I mean, people told Steve Jobs he was crazy. People told Martin Luther King he was crazy. People told, pick any single person that has ever done anything worthy of doing in this country or in the world, and people probably at one point said, that person's crazy. Well, what is crazy? Is crazy believing that I'm capable of doing this incredible thing that's maybe never been done before? Neil Armstrong saying, I want to walk on the moon. Somebody's like, Neil, you're crazy. And then he fucking did it. And it's like, who's laughing now, bitch? Right? So like, you can you can be that kind of crazy. Um, you can be crazy in that you are hearing voices and you think that they're telling you to go fulfill some big thing, this prophecy, and you have like these godlike things. And so, yeah, that that probably does sound a little bit crazy, right? But, you know, is the person a schizophrenic? Are they suffering psychotic features? Can they help that, right? And it's almost like an insult in the same way that when somebody says that's gay, and somebody would describe something as, oh, that's gay. He's so gay. That's so gay. And that's synonymizing. I don't even know if synonymizing is a word. But basically, used in that context, it's synonymous with lesser. It's not equal to or it's worse. That's lame. That's gay, right? And so at the punchline of that, somebody who is gay is left feeling like, why would you use this word to describe me to also describe this lesser than thing, right? How is that supposed to make me feel? Probably pretty shitty, 
probably really fucking shitty. And so it's not the same thing, okay? But because I don't, I'm not trying to make light of gay experiences and the discrimination that gay people face versus the stigma around mental health. They, they are different. There's overlaps in many ways, but they are, they are different things, and I don't want to minimize something that a gay person has experienced that someone suffering from mental health issues has not experienced. Okay, so let's just be really clear about that. But what I am saying is, in the same way that saying that's gay can be harmful and hurtful to somebody who is gay, saying they're crazy is also harmful in in some of those same ways where it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you can say they're crazy about anybody, right? Maybe you just caught somebody having like the two-minute meltdown during their day where everything has gone wrong and they they are just absolutely having kind of like a public meltdown. And that's unfortunate. You see that happen sometimes, right? <laughs> Someone's just kind of freaking out. Um, and you walk by and you go, wow, they're, that person's crazy, right? Or maybe it's, it's me walking around in shorts in the wintertime and somebody goes, that's yeah, crazy, right? It's so cold. Like, that's crazy. Is that crazy? Yeah, it could be, I guess. But that's based on that person's opinion and their definition of crazy. You walk downtown and you walk past somebody who's obviously suffering from mental health issues and they're a homeless person and they're speaking to themselves or they're doing something that is seems bizarre and that normal people in society wouldn't typically do. You say that person's crazy. Okay, maybe. But like what are you doing to help them, you know? Are you just going to stand there and point and laugh and they're crazy? Oh, look at the crazy person. Like there's some kind of a fucking caged animal or could you potentially do something to maybe understand how they got there? Which is my point, right? As like I see people like that and I obviously, obviously they're not functioning at the same level that what we would deem as quote unquote normal people would be functioning at, right? But what is normal, you know? These are all things that are subjective. And my first thought isn't to judge the person who's screaming or running down the road, which I have seen not only just in Louisville, but in the streets of Oakland and San Francisco and San Jose, a lot of people who are homeless and who are suffering and that have been absolutely ignored by society, right? People who are screaming out, please acknowledge me. (laughs) It's sad. It's really fucking sad. And uh, those, those people Sure, they might not be, <laughs> you know, what what you would label as sane, right? Fine. My point is, I'm not somebody that looks at them and says, that person's fucking crazy. My thing is, my first thought is always, how did they get there? You know, what led to that? Because that's really sad. And I wish that, I wish I could help them all, you know? I don't give people money. I give people food. Because a lot of times, people want food. And you know, fine. Some people, they'll say, I don't want food. I just want money. I have food. Give me money. And it's like, I'm just trying to help you out the best way that I can. I don't have a lot of money to give you right now, dude. I Like, I don't, okay? But you have my empathy. You have my sympathy. And I don't know. I just, I want to 
bring that to the forefront because because it it, it is it, it's it's hurtful to me um and it was the reason that I was hesitant to basically come out right come out as bipolar and say hey I'm bipolar here's what it's like here's what's misunderstood about it here's what I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis or in a given month here's how my life looks right here's how these symptoms manifest themselves in my life that is um, is something that I didn't want to make public for a little bit because I was scared that somebody is going to weaponize this against me and use it against me and absolutely could you know and make me look crazier than 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 I am I guess I don't know I don't I don't think I'm crazy right I I think I'm pretty fucking level-headed but somebody might just even just hear yeah bipolar oh that means they're crazy right or if I'm having one of those moments right like I was saying those two-minute meltdowns maybe you're just catching me on a really bad day and I'm doing something or saying something that that is probably out of character from how I normally am, you know, or or whatever the case may be. And somebody uses that against me. Oh, uh, he's crazy. Like, you know, that's that's like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing this because I'm crazy. I'm not saying this this in particular because I have bipolar or I'm bipolar. I'm saying this because you piss me off and I'm letting you know about it or I'm doing this because like I want to do this, right? And I, I, I've always been really. I kind of have, I think, a complex about that a little bit. If I'm being honest, I just don't want that to be used against me and weaponized against me because it's such a low hanging fruit. And like, fine, if that's your opinion, then fuck you. You know, I don't have to give a fuck about it. But it's, it's harmful and it's hurtful and it's offensive. It really is. And again, it, it gets back to what is crazy, right? How do you define it? What is it? What does it look like? You know. So. Think about that the next time you're describing somebody or you just want to kind of invalidate somebody really quickly and write them off as, ah, he's crazy, she's crazy. And like, oh my God, you know, it's it's such, it, it is like the playbook handbook for guys to say she's crazy about their ex-girlfriend. When, let's be honest, a bunch of these guys that would say that about their ex and talk shit like that, one, that tells me that they're immature, okay? Two, it tells me they're probably deflecting from whatever made that person crazy. Like, guys that sit there and want to talk shit about their exes, that's a that's a piece of shit move, first of all, okay? You dated her. You were with her. And same thing for guys and girls or, or girls versus guys. The same thing can be said, okay? So it goes both ways, but I'm just... I've had more experiences being in rooms where I'm in and privy to those conversations where guys are talking about their ex-girlfriends more than I have than um, the other side of it where it's a bunch of girlfriends talking about the guy and, oh, he's crazy. Guys will say that all the time. She's crazy. She's a slut, whatever. And they just say that to tear the person down. And a lot of times, the reasons and the things that they might have done were because of the things that the guy did to push her to that point. And it's just a really, I just have no respect for guys that do that, you know? And again, it's like, you, you know, you chose to be with her, so what does that say about you? You know what I mean? Like, what? Are you dissing yourself, too? Because you kind of are, right? Do you realize that? Do you realize how fucking stupid you are by saying that? You know, I don't think that you do. I don't think that you do. And... 
Do you realize how fucking harmful and hurtful that can be when you say that? They're crazy, she's crazy, he's crazy? I don't think that you do. But now, having listened to this, I hope that you'll at least be mindful of that in the future moving forward if you hear that or you say that and maybe it's something that you'll work to eliminate. All right, guys, that's all I got for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, then uh, you're really invested in this podcast, and I really, really appreciate you. I fuck with you, man. I fuck with you, okay? And if you fuck with me as well, then we'll fox with each other, as the guy famously said in the movie How High. But please leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It would really help me out, and it takes like two seconds. Please do it. Please, 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 please. I'll say it 50 times if I have to. Please, 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 all right? Please do that, because it really helps me out. And like the Uber riders that get in and check out the comments that people leave for me, um, people similarly, when they come to this podcast page, look at those comments and the ratings and the reviews. So please, I'm trying to get those up please leave that. And Spotify listeners, I realize that some of you, you don't have access to Apple Podcasts. You don't listen on Spotify. And for the people that are listening on SoundCloud or Google Podcasts or wherever you choose to listen to the show, first of all, thank you very fucking much for doing that. I appreciate that. But B, you can also rate and review the show in a number of different ways, primarily Facebook. Go to Real Talk W Benny T. That is the show page. And leave a rating and a review there. That really helps, okay? Or something else that you can do, share this podcast, share this episode, share a story, share something with one person that you know that loves podcasts or that you think would enjoy this stuff or that would think this is funny or, hey, this made me think of you or, um, you know, (laughs) maybe it's something that I talk about and it's uh, something that you can then send to somebody that you maybe didn't know how to approach or talk about with them, but you can kind of use it as a segue and get some conversations rolling, some tough conversations maybe, and be like, hey, what do you think about this? And I was listening to this and it really kind of made me think about this and maybe it's something we were talking about the other day or maybe it's something that I know we've kind of been tiptoeing around, but I really want to let you know that I, I see you and I hear you and that you matter and that you're valid and like, a lot of those conversations start from uncomfortable places. And so that's why I do this shit because I'm, I'm pretty much comfortable in any situation with any person. It doesn't matter, you know? Because again, it, it comes back to just self-confidence, I think. Not ego, not being arrogant, but just like, yeah, okay, I got it. Nothing more needs to be said. Um, really good stuff. Next week, I'm so fucking excited. It's going to be Uber Stories Atlanta. This is the very first uh, time that I'm actually going to do this and I am, I'm just, I cannot fucking wait. So I hope it goes really well and I hope that you'll tune in next week. All right, guys, that's it. I'm Ben Tompkins. That's real talk.